Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. First, let us join our hearts in prayer. Loving God, we come to worship with a longing in our hearts for everything that is broken to be made right, for the world to be a better place, and for our lives to better reflect your love. Speak to us once again words of good news. May these words inspire and empower us for the week ahead. Amen. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Amen, amen. Send uh, your light, O God. Amen. So we were praying. That's right, we were praying together in public There were 17 of us around a large table in a restaurant just outside of the city of Prague. Uh, 15 of us, 14 students and myself from Columbia Seminary, and then two professors from St. Charles University, the Faculty on Theology. St. Charles University is the oldest and largest university in the Czech Republic It began, like most of the great universities in Europe, as a theological seminary. It was one of the leading schools in the Reformation period. The great pastor and theologian Jan Hus taught at St. Charles University. His church where he preached is not too far away from the campus. I took my students to the actual sanctuary. We were able to stand in the pulpit that had been there since the 1400s. St. Charles University, well-known, much beloved, respected. Students and I and these two faculty colleagues had been out for the day visiting churches and talking to pastors, making our way back into Prague. We stopped at a restaurant. We ordered our food, and I turned to one of my students and said, would you please lead us in prayer? We're about to eat dinner. Let's pray. She said, of course, and we did that thing. We joined hands, bowed our heads, closed our eyes, and we started to pray. While we were praying... The two young women who were our servers that night 
the food began to arrive, and so they began to put the plates of food right in front of us while our heads were bowed and our eyes were closed and we were holding hands. One of them turned to one of my students. I heard her and said in English, because she heard us ordering, do you like some more water? (laughs) While we were praying with our eyes closed and our heads bowed and holding hands. And he looked up and said, "Uh, uh, uh, sure, thank you. And she poured water. Anyone else? While we were praying, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, holding hands, we finished. My student said, amen. She said, amen. We all looked up, and this young woman turned to us and said, what, what were you doing? And one of my students said, we were praying. And she said, you were what? And he said, we were praying. And then she turned to the professor who was sitting next to me, and she began to talk to him in Czech. And it went back and forth. It was a lively conversation. And it ended with her looking at him, shaking her head, shrugging her shoulders, and walking away. And the professor turned to me and my students and said, Welcome to the most secular nation in Europe. And I said, I'm sorry, what do you mean by that? And he said, You're in the most secular nation in all of Europe. Everybody around us is more religious than we are. We have the lowest church-going attendance, Reformed and Presbyterian, Roman Catholic, Orthodox, Evangelical, you name it. Nobody in this country goes to church. So she didn't understand what we were just doing. She had never in her young 20-something years seen a group of people join hands, bow their heads, close their eyes, and pray. She was asking, what is this praying? She doesn't even know the word, really, he said. This is the most secular nation in Europe. And then, brilliantly, one of my students turned to him and said, why? And he smiled and said, because in 1948, when the communist regime came and took over Czechoslovakia at the time, the Bishop of Prague made a fateful decision. Worried about his churches and his priests and his nuns and the convents, he went to the communist leadership and said, let's make this agreement. If you don't terrorize or take away any of my churches, if you don't arrest me or any of my priests or nuns, we promise we will not make any criticism of your government during this time. And the communist regime said, that's fine. You don't say anything about us, and we will leave you alone. My professor friend said that happened in 1948. Seeking to preserve the life of the church in the Czech Republic, then Czechoslovakia, the bishop decided to align himself with the government. He and the government became one. So as the communist regime began to oppress, take away free press, the right to free speech, the right for people to gather, the church said nothing. As long as the church could continue to worship in its sanctuaries across the country, convents were left alone, priests weren't arrested, the church said nothing. My friend turned to the table and said, every time the church 
puts her own survival above everything else. She loses her way. She loses any moral authority whatsoever. Anytime the church puts her own survival above everything else, she loses her way. She loses any sense of moral authority. Welcome to the most secular nation in all of Europe. So Jesus is preaching and teaching. His baptism has happened. Then he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, where he's tempted by Satan. And then he begins to walk along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees some guys there fishing, calls them and says, I will teach you to fish for people, drop your nets and follow me, and they do. And then with this ragtag group of followers, women and men together, he gathers people and starts to preach and teach and heal, and crowds start to form. He gets a name for himself. People are talking about this Jesus of Nazareth. And then he gathers this crowd on a mount, and he begins to teach and preach. Scholars call this the first great sermon of Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. He goes into these blessings. We call them the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are you who are meek, for you shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, blessed, blessed. And then he turns the conversation, looks out at the crowd, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its tastiness, then what good is it? How can its saltiness be restored, it's only good for throwing out into the dirt where it gets trampled underfoot. Okay, just as an aside, for you and for me as Midwesterners hearing that, salt being thrown out onto the dirt, that actually makes some sense for us. In a few weeks, it'll make real good sense to us. It helps melt the ice, we get that. But this is not a Midwestern crowd. It's a Middle Eastern crowd. And the idea of throwing salt onto the dirt, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's a complete waste. You know this. In the ancient world, right, salt was a precious commodity. People would get paid in salt. We get the word salary from the Latin sal for salt. Salt was a precious commodity. Then Jesus turns and says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket. No, instead, they put it on a lampstand so it gives light to all who are in the house. So do the same thing. Let your light so shine before others that they see your good works, the good that is yours to do, and they give glory to God who is in heaven. 
Light was precious in the ancient world. It was only the middle class and the wealthy who could actually afford the oil that was the most popular source of light in lamps in those days. The poor, when it got dark, they would just go to sleep. As soon as the light began to come, they would wake up and begin their day. Oil was the most useful commodity for light after it began to be dark in the shadows, and only the middle class and the wealthy could afford that. It makes no sense that you would light a lamp and waste oil and put it under a bushel basket. It makes perfect sense that you would put it on the lamp stand so everyone could see it. Jesus says, You are salt, you are light. So then in 1989, when the communist regime, 41 years later, fell in then Czechoslovakia, my good friend Milan Opachensky, pastor in a Presbyterian church there in Prague, leader of the national and international organization, the World Alliance of Reformed Churches, of which we are a part, Village Presbyterian Church, He said on that night, he was standing in Wenceslas Square, this long, grand square in the heart of Prague. At the very end, it rises to the national library that's there. And he said he could not believe his eyes and ears. His heart was full. The communists, they saw what was coming It's called the Velvet Revolution in Czechoslovakia because not one shot was fired. No one was injured. No one was killed. The communist leaders just saw it, and they packed up, and they left. And for the first time in 41 years, democracy was returned to Czechoslovakia. On that night, my friend Milan was standing in the middle of the square, And there was singing and dancing, and there were children and young people and old people. People were sharing food. Milan says it was a glimpse of the kingdom, the reign, the kingdom of God. He could not believe this freedom that he never imagined would happen in his lifetime. And at the very end of the square, just in front of the National Library, there was a makeshift stand that had been built up, a stage And there was a a system to sound, audio system there, and there were young people, and they were making speeches, and they were singing. And then this old man got up, and Milan was stunned because he realized it was the Archbishop of Prague, a man he had not seen in public in years. And he began to speak, and Milan couldn't hear him because nobody around him was listening to this old man. And then a young man got up and quieted the crowd and said, everyone be quiet, let this man speak, let this man speak. And so he began to speak. And he talked for a few moments, and Milan got most of what he was saying. He was giving thanks to God for this night, this day. He was giving thanks for the courage of young people first, but then older adults and others who said, this is not right, we should be free And then he asked the crowd, thousands of Czechs in Wenceslas Square in November 1989 to please pray with him. He said, it's time for us, my children, to pray. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. 
So the Archbishop of Prague closed his eyes and bowed his head and clasped his hands, and he began to pray. And Milan said he began to pray with the Archbishop, tears streaming down my friend's face. In public, he never thought he would hear this. And then he realized, Milan did, that nobody around him was praying. And he looked up, and the archbishop realized the same thing. And the archbishop, speaking to thousands of Czechs on that magnificent night, he said, my children, why are you not praying with me? Why are you not saying the Lord's Prayer? And Milan said there was a young man sitting literally on top of a lamp post near him who yelled down the square, Old man, we don't know who you are and we don't know what you are saying. And the archbishop looked at that young man halfway down Wenceslas Square and he bowed his head, shook his head, and he looked up and said, Oh, my child. Please forgive me. I am an old man. I will teach you how to pray. And Milan said, the Archbishop of Prague began to line out each line of the Lord's Prayer. The Archbishop said, follow after me, our Father. And thousands of Czechs said, our Father, who art in heaven, who art in heaven, hallowed be, hallowed be, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. Every time the church puts her own survival ahead of everything else, she loses her way. I'm not asking you to pledge money for 2024 for the survival of Village Presbyterian Church. I'm asking you to pledge money for 2024 so the good news of Jesus Christ might be shared beyond this place. Every time the church puts her own survival above everything else, she loses her way and loses all moral authority. We have never been that church. We are not that church now, and by God, we will not be that church in the future. I frankly have no interest in being with a bunch of people who only want to self-preserve so they might survive. I am only interested in journeying with a group of people who have the courage and the ability and the resources to risk it all so that we might thrive in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come on, be salt, be light. The shadows, they are so deep. You know this. The world is eager for salt. The world is eager for light. Come on. We were built for this. We were created for this. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. 
Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.